Okay, let me get where I can see. Um, I'm going to be reading in Philippians 4, 2 and 3. Now I appeal to <laughs> Yodia and Sintaichi, and I'm sure I didn't say that right. Um, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they have worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. All right, thanks be to God. You can be seated. So, how many of you guys have ever done a job and uh, not received the due credit for that work? Something has been successful, and an idea has been transformational, and somewhere along the line, it, it loses its attachment to you, and you get a C from a distance, other people claiming credit for, for what's actually taken place. This is a challenging thing, but it's a normal thing. It's a thing that uh, both happens now in our current day, and it's happened throughout history. Uh, in 2016, there was a movie that came out called Hidden Figures. How many of you guys saw this? Hidden Figures about the three women who were uh, influential and instrumental in the NASA space race, where they were trying to gain the ability to get into space, get to the moon, and all of those things. There were three women who were a part of these efforts. The first one was Katherine Johnson, the second Dorothy Vaughn and Mary Jackson. Each one of them played a different role at, 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 at NASA. Uh, all of them were mathematicians. They had this intellect and ability to work with numbers in a really powerful way, yet some things about them and the social dynamics at the time made it very difficult for them to be honored and acknowledged for their contribution to the table. It took to uh, almost, let's see, over 40 years for these ladies to be acknowledged for what was actually happened in that time. At different moments, they've been elevated and, and celebrated. And if you saw the movie, um, it, it was a long wait. It wasn't until 2015 that um, Katherine Johnson, the primary worker of the three was acknowledged with a presidential medal of freedom and the following year the movie was released and all of a sudden we realized that there is hidden power hidden wonder in the history that we knew nothing about at least that was my experience and i think it's quite fascinating to think that there, there are no minor players in the kingdom of God, that God has individuals who, who he's got a unique image for each one of us as we walk out our part in this story of redemption through Jesus. And so I just want to, to welcome you into that space that regardless of where you feel, what your life has looked like, you are not a hidden figure in the eyes and mind of your God. That he made you and created you and he has a vision for you and he is trying to unearth the you that he had always in mind. And circumstances are going to come across where the bits of, of you that need to be unearthed they're going to work through challenging moments where bits that don't belong get knocked off or called out or brought to the surface and you get the choice of what are you gonna do when you see that things need to shift or change. I don't know if any of you have been a part of a, um, an intervention, um, maybe, maybe not. I don't know how common that is, but all of a sudden you get surprised by people who are meaningful to you. You don't expect it, and then all of a sudden, something that you have been carrying gets called to the surface, and you're like, whoa, you're all here for me. We're going to sit in a circle, and we're going to talk about things that are not going well. Awesome. Well, within our scripture today, we're going to recognize that actually this took place for both Syntyche and Eudia, these ladies who were in the church of Philippi. If you remember the, the opening week of our time of studying uh, Philippians, we were talking about the idea that Paul had such a deep connection with this church that he knew and loved them. And so getting a, a, a message from Paul was like gold. 
it would have made each one of the people in the body like, oh my gosh, we got a letter from Paul. And, he, and Epaphroditus is back and he's going to read it to us. We get to hear the very direct words that Paul has to say to us. And Paul throughout the letter is going like, man, I love you. I see the progress that God has been doing within you. I know that what he has started, he's not done with. There's still more growth. And then the, the whole text of the letter is all about Paul just demonstrating how God somehow takes broken situations, painful situations, what the world sees as loss, and he says God has actually flipped this loss situation for his glory and his power. And he says this is how God actually works. That when God comes to us and says, hey, there's something in your life that, that I know that you know is there, it's uncomfortable, you're not quite sure what it is, and it feels like pain when God points at it, he's actually trying to rescue you from the poison. Because we weren't intended to carry brokenness within us. God has actually come to bring healing, to bring hope, to bring resurrection life, so to speak, in our here and now. So, let's pray, then we're going to get to the text. Sound good? All right, let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are good to us. Thank you that um, none of us are extras in your story. We are not your background. We are not um, unseen or uncared for. God, one of the greatest joys we have is knowing that you see us, you hear us, you care for us, and you act in love towards us. So Lord, would we interact with you in that same way today? Would we sense your presence here and would we invite your transformation? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, throughout scripture, um, different individuals have handled this text in a different way. Um, what I wanna just say plain and upfront is I think it's wrong for us today to look at this passage that says, Paul says, hey, Syntyche, hey, Yudia, uh, I, I urge you to agree in the Lord. There's obvious there's a, some sort of a disagreement. There's a, a tension there that Paul is calling attention to, and he's not afraid to do so. Um, now, I'm not going to do that here, right here uh, today, uh, because I, I don't know if that would be most beneficial, but Paul, for some reason, thinks it's so significant, these ladies' uh, interactions with each other, that it be brought center, to speak out that which is hidden. So today our, our message is actually called uh, Calling Out Hidden Tension, because hidden tension matters. If we're going to create a community of goodness, a community of, of, of security, stability, we have to not pretend that there's not tension, but we have to learn how to walk through tension how to address tension, how to handle it in a way that doesn't make it larger than it is, nor does it sweep it under a rug and let it be nothing. But we become comfortable with expecting tension. Because if we're going to be connected in a way that's meaningful, not just light connections, but deep connections, there are going to be moments where we have conflict, tension, struggle. And so my, one of my goals for today is for us to simply become comfortable with the idea that there will be tension. And outside of the Holy Spirit knitting us together, we will have the opportunity to off-ramp or press through, to grow deeper or to stay the same and try and find another community that will not poke at us or not care about tension. So in this section of scripture, Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, if you've got Bibles, flip them open to that, and we're going to dive right on in. Verse um, 2 of chapter 4, I entreat Judea and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help the women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, what grabs our attention and would be the easy thing for us to discuss, we will discuss, but it's not that easy and only thing Paul try, is trying to say here. Oh, there's conflict. You got to resolve it. Because Paul is refusing to identify Syntyche and Yudia as simply a problem in the church. 
There's language within how he's addressing them that actually shows that he is unwilling to let himself nor the church simply see them as a problem. And when we are lazy in understanding scripture, the address becomes, oh, gossiping ladies again. And that's using this uh, just wrong thoughtfulness towards uh, a demographic of sisters in Christ that is, is not here in the text. The, the, the actual uh, reason and, and focus of Paul saying their names, uh, saying Syntyche and Judea, that is an act of honor. If you were to look through all the different passages of Scripture in John, uh, uh, Paul, he's got plenty of enemies. He talks, he talks about others who are in opposition, who he doesn't agree with. You'll notice that very seldom, if at all, does he use their actual name. That within Paul, Pauline text and with the way he writes, he only mentions the names of those whom he is trying to acknowledge and elevate. And so there is some significance to this. Not only this, but the fact that Paul starts the letter in Phil, uh, to Philippi with addressing not merely the people or the saints who are citizens of, of uh, Philippi, but also the deacons and overseers. These two things combined actually gives weight to who these women probably were. They were probably significant within the church of Philippi, which wouldn't have been uncommon within that section of the world. Now, most of the world was patriarchal, such was uh, Macedonia, but of the areas of, of, of the scriptural world or biblical world at this point, Macedonia was one of the most uh, frequently elevated spaces where women actually had a very decent role within uh, society that there were statues that have been found to, to different queens. There have been uh, records historically that have been found, archaeological records of females owning homes, having places of influence within society. And so it, it makes much sense that Paul is going, hey, these aren't just problem childs among you. There is a reason I'm calling them out to you. Now, now, if these individuals were, were, pro, they were new to the church or non-influential, these are two young moms or whatever it may be, and Paul is like, hey, yo, Syntyche, Yudia, you got to work it out, that, that's not grace at all. Because throughout Scripture, we see that, that there is a consistency that, that you address issues consistent with their impact, Right? So if you have an issue with a brother or a sister, Matthew 18, what do you do? You go to your brother and sister. Why? Because it's between you. But if they don't listen to you, then you have to bring somebody else because it's becoming a larger issue and all the way up to it becoming a church matter when it influences everyone. And so depending upon somebody's influence or impact of poor behavior within a community, you have to address it at that level because Paul refuses to hide and sweep under the rug brokenness. And isn't this a lesson that the church needs to know today? That it is not right to uh, sweep things under the rug in a way that images something that is not true. And so we would be wrong to walk away from this first op opening sentence with us carrying the idea that these ladies were problem children. No, they, they were esteemed within this community. They were leaders within the community. If we know the history of Philippi, it was actually founded when a, a um, an influential female called Lydia, who was a business owner. She owned a home. She had a house that she was the main individual who ran it. She comes to Jesus when Paul and his co-guys co were, were going to find people as they were praying. And so even from the foundation, the church in Philippi has a strong leader who is a female overseeing them. Okay, so we just need to deal with some history here. So Paul is acknowledging. So first of all, Paul says to them, um, hey guys, I need you to agree in the Lord. And in verse three, as I, yes, I ask you also companion. This word companion is, is probably, um, he's probably speaking of 
uh, Epaphroditus who is carrying the letter, Epaphroditus, please help them. They, they aren't worthy of, of demeaning. They aren't worthy of calling in a way that, that, that pushes them down. They are worthy of your help. And so he says, I send my true companion or fellow yoke men, if you were to look at the original language, help these women who have labored side by side with me. Now that's interesting. There's some language there where Paul says these women not only are worthy of help, but they have labored side by side with me. And we'll get into that in in a moment. But he he continues on and says that uh, they've continued to work with them side by side together with Clement, which is another leader, and the rest of the fellow workers. And then the most primary word here is whose names are in the book of life. Now, the book of life is something that if you have a familiarity with them, uh, scripture is not merely a Disney movie or Pixar or whatever it was, a great movie, but there's actually a book that God has written with the names of those who belong to his eternal kingdom written with him. And so Paul is acknowledging, firstly, these sisters, they belong to another world. Their belonging is not fundamentally here, but in another world. In the same way that he says um, in Philippians 3.20 of last week, our citizenship is in heaven, for we are awaiting a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Their belonging is from another world. And so Paul will not allow people to define them based upon their earthly circumstances, but reminds them that ultimately they are of the community of eternity. Not only this, but Paul, as he goes on into Philippians uh, 4, uh, 2, and 3, not only are these sisters belonging to the citizenship of heaven, these sisters, they're major players. They're major players in the kingdom of God. They have been in the past, which we get the understanding that, like Lydia, they were either rich, influential women who had power and the ability to move around. So some people think they were patrons, and we'll talk more about patronage in two weeks, where rich individuals in a community, whether they had individual wealth or they gained wealth and clout by their marriage or property that they inherited, They had the ability to give gifts to others or provide for others in exchange for loyalty or a relationship of dependency. So it's a lot of sugar daddies is what this is, okay? So uh, in no derogatory way at all, um, it's possible that these ladies had some money and they shared it with the church, which allowed them to be of significance within those quarters. Like I said, the fellow workers, Paul says, these women were fellow workers with me. Um, This designation uh, goes towards, he described others as either itinerant missionaries or local residential leaders. This is what Paul used for this word, fellow workers. So, as we see, these ladies had some significance in the past. They are major players, but notice this. They are major players in kingdom impact, and I would say Paul highlights the need to address this because they continued to have impact even in their unhealth. Some of us have lots of influence. People look to us as examples, and that is beautiful and so right when we're walking closely with the Lord and we're allowing Jesus to be the one who forms the way we walk in this world. But when we have these broken elements within us, it can become very damaging to friends and those who follow and watch. And so there was this obvious tiff between these two leaders, and it was not merely staying between them. It was causing others to be made aware. There's like awkward tension there, and I don't know why. I'm friends with both of them, and I don't want to decide, but I feel like there's this weird, like, break. Have you ever been in a close group where there's two friends who just like, for one reason or another, just do not get along? And, and, and they both kind of are like, they're not 
outwardly like aggressive towards each other, but it's like super passive aggressive. They'll make like jokes like, oh my gosh, can you believe so-and-so? Or they'll talk highly about the things that they're good at, but incidentally the other person is really bad at, and they'll talk about it in moments when that person fails in that area. So there's this idea of like trying to divide others to gain your crowd. And that's such a temptation, man, when you're hurting and when there's conflict for you to try and find allies. But that's not the way that we learn Christ. That's not the way of the people of Jesus. To find allies within others is to cause division, which matters deeply to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus himself is not divided in himself. He is not of mixed ideas. He is not uh, wanting to do one thing and wanting to do another. He is not at war within himself. He is the only whole human there ever has been where he can walk in a way that justifies all interactions in clear, clean purity. And Jesus invites the body of Christ to be of oneness to the same degree that the human Jesus was one with his divine nature. So these women, they were significant. They were major players um, in the past in a positive way, but in the current moment, not so much. But these women needed help. Philippians 4, uh, 2 and 3. I entreat Judea and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help them, help these women who have labored side by side Um, with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Now, what is the conflict? We don't really know within the historical narrative. And if we're going to take the Bible seriously, we have to be very careful not to fill in the blanks. But there's a few ideas that people have pushed around as far as uh, different commentators and experts. Some believe uh, if, if they were leaders in the church, maybe each of them had their own uh, home that they opened up for other people to meet in. And each one had their own unique way of doing things. And they loved their contending, I mean, they loved their, their little house church. And, and they loved that, you know, they, they love their soup day. They don't have soup day. We got soup day, right? And it created this weirdness. It could have just been that. Or they both could have been really dynamic females. And, and they were like gifted and they're, and they're gifting sometimes like, like this. That never happens, right? When you're working side by side with somebody and like their gifting spills over into your space and you're like, whoa, 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 I'm that person. It could have been that. All of these things are practical, true? Yeah, okay. Um, or it could have uh, been actually about Epaphroditus. Some people believe that they had a difference in opinion when they were sending Epaphroditus. Remember, he's the one who came to Paul to help Paul, gave Paul money, and then Paul's like, I'm sending him back. It could have been this tension where one of them wasn't confident that Epaphroditus would make it. That's why he was freaked, and he's like, I gotta get back. It's gonna cause this tiff. Uh, Syntyche was sure I wasn't going to make it. She kept saying it. And Yudia, she had my back. And now I know because I got sick, they're going to be all fighting. I told you so. Like it could have been any of that. And so that kind of adds a little bit to the layers of, of the text. Well, we just don't know for certain. But one thing that's really interesting is um, one commentator that I read believes that Paul speaking into the situation was the early church's first effort at putting into practice Matthew 18, which says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault, or we could say her, between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother or a sister. If he he does not listen, take one or two along with you. Don't be gabbing to the church. You don't need to get your own backing at this point. But if he does not listen, take one or two others with you that, they may, uh, that the charge may be established by evidence of two or three, which was common practice back then. That for you to make a claim, it would only stand up in society if 
two people or three people can attest, yes, I see it too. The reason being is me by myself having an issue with you by yourself, neither of us sees things clearly. Neither of us do. It's like recalling a traffic accident, each from your own perspective. It's actually, they no longer use eyewitness accounts of traffic accidents as ultimately reliable because people, it's been proven, people don't remember uh, trauma rightly. We fill in the gaps. So um, there, there is a way of doing these things. And verse 16, but if he does not listen, take somebody else with you. Um, let's see. If he refuses to listen to them, tell the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. There's this pattern of uh, not discipline in the sense of uh, um, trying to inflict pain or punishment. It is discipline in the sense of correction, of trying to redirect passions. You're going to have circumstances when you're upset. You're going to feel deeply about things that, that maybe people around you don't feel deeply about. And my, my goal for us as people is not to just try and bottle up the energy and push it down because it'll come out. If it doesn't come out in the right direction, it'll come out with your kids or your dog or whatever it may be. But to take that tension, bring it to Jesus, and invite Jesus to be that witness of what you're experiencing and to invite his word to actually take captive what you're feeling, making it subject to Jesus. I feel this way, Lord. I don't know what to do with it. I can tell you what I want to do with it but I don't know what to do with this energy that's within me. And I need you to help me, Jesus, to see things clearly. And sometimes that means I need to invite someone else into it, not to gossip, but to say, this is what I'm experiencing. I need help with clarity. And then to submit it to the way of Jesus. We take this seriously as a church. We take working through challenges and not sweeping things under the rug seriously. Now, that doesn't mean we, we chase down sin. That's not our thing at all. We, we make little of sin because sin has been conquered by Jesus. We make much of intimacy, unity, and peace. We pursue peace. And every now and again, sin, brokenness, the poisonness of human brokenness, finds its way within the body of Jesus. And it's for us to be like, man, we need the surgeon of Jesus to purge us of this brokenness so that we can remain united, linked together. Because you know what? You know what's more important than us? That the world sees Jesus clearly. People aren't walking away from the church because of theological reasons necessarily. A lot of the people walking away from the church are because the church looks nothing like Jesus. And so we have to focus intently, face these challenges with graciousness. One of my favorite quotes is by John Huckins in his book, Thin Places. He just acknowledges that true community is not something you experience easily. It's not something that is formed around uh, common interest. True community doesn't take place in a group of people until you have the justifiable reason to leave and you choose to stay. That's where community is actually born. People who could leave, but choose to stay, choose to fight, choose to not give up on one another. And this is what Paul is inviting them to do. And it's not an angry tone. He's like, listen, I entreat you. It's, it's a kind coming alongside of. It's Paul going like, hey, sis, you remember what we, where we've been through. We've been through harder things than this. Remember what's most important. Yep, you too. Hey, sis. Hey, We've been through stuff. Don't remember what's most important. Don't get distracted or hung up on the meaningful pain, yes, but let's move it in the right direction. 
So when people choose to stay when they could leave, this is where our eternal unity, which we will experience eternal unity with our enemies who love Jesus too. That's a little bit of a, a, a feeling I didn't like this week, but I had to continue to remind myself, like, oh, I'm going to be in eternity with that person. Huh. Oh, Lord Jesus. There's gonna, you're going to have to change. Um, my first thought was, oh, you're going to have to change that dude. <laughs> I can't wait for that dude to get changed. And I was like, oh, you're going to have to change me, Jesus. You're going to have to change me, Jesus. And the beautiful thing is that that is part of what God is trying to do. He's trying to allow us to refocus our attention on what is truly significant rather than the preferences that often get run over by others. So, uh, it is rare for the kingdom of eternity, the united world that we will experience, it is rare for that to take place when we experience unity that is miraculous. But when we do this, it is making tangible the reality that we will have one day. All right, so we have gone through the idea that these ladies are of sisterhood in eternity. They are major players who had a positive uh, influence on the past and were having a, a negative influence on the body because they were allowing tension. And we're going to move on to the idea that they were of, of supreme significance um, and needed help. Paul comes to them and says, I urge you and I invite you each individually. He doesn't take sides. He doesn't go to the stronger and go, hey, take it on a team. She's kind of new. He goes to them each individually. I urge you, Syntyche, I urge you, Eudia, to be of one mind in Christ. He's urging them to move away from their self. He's urging each individually to turn away from the self Turn away from self-promotion, from self-protection, from self-justification, from self-preservation. Man, that's such a heartbreaking thing when it is only our pride and our unwillingness to acknowledge that we are flawed and we bring brokenness to each relationship. That, that stops us from allowing the unity of Jesus to come in. And so he says, look away from self and look toward Jesus. Philippians 4.2, I entreat you, Yudia and Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. Now, this word agree in the Lord is actually a word-for-word -word, uh, re repetition from what he said in Philippians 2, verse 2 through 4, about the whole church. So he's applying this whole church hey guys, agree and be of one mind to these leaders. And in 2.2 it says this, complete my joy, Paul says. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Man, wouldn't that be the most beautiful fix if somebody, a third party, or the Word of God were to come to you or I when we are working and we're stuck and we can't get outside of the feeling of frustration, of being unseen or offended, and, and then the Word of God comes to us and says, complete my joy, have the same love, have the be of full accord your mind and do nothing from selfish ambition. Nothing. But in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. So when Paul says, agree in the Lord, there are some pieces from this passage. Having the same love. So one, if we're feeling tension that is under the surface, Paul says, don't hide it, don't suppress it. Talk it through. Bring it out. The first pattern we need to learn is to share supreme love for Jesus. Remind yourself. This is before you even talk to the person. Don't go talking to somebody when you're angry, when you're frustrated. Talk after you spend time with Jesus, reminding yourself of this. 
Paul says, be of the same mind, which is uh, one facet is of love. Remind yourself, Jesus, you are my supreme love. And just like you chose to cling to me instead of to your own benefits or preferences, I'm going to cling to you, Jesus, and let go of my preferences. I'm going to say that holding tight to you is more significant to me than getting my own way or justifying myself or or making myself feel good through these circumstances. The primary first question you need to ask yourself is, how can I demonstrate my love for him in this situation? Before you say a thing, you're feeling attention. God, how can I demonstrate my love for you? in how I answer this moment. Because if Jesus is our supreme love, then that should be the driving force of everything we do. The second thing we're asked to reconcile or think into our inner person is having the same accord, which means sharing the same message or common goal. Remind yourself, okay, this is a brother, this is a sister. They belong to eternity with me. I'm going to spend eternity with them. Okay, so what is it that we not only share a love for Jesus, but we have this common goal of seeing the nature and work of Christ demonstrated? The primary question I would say in this moment of full accord or being of the common goal is to say, I shouldn't see the main objective of this moment, the outcome of this interaction, shouldn't be for me to prove myself, exonerate self, or to feel good about myself, or walk out as a winner in this situation, but rather, how can I demonstrate the love of Jesus, or how can I see the glory and beauty of Jesus manifested in this moment? Because we are called not merely to believe in Jesus, but to enter into his suffering, to enter into his sacrificial way of life. That our goal in life is to embody the sacrificial way of Jesus. And so if I'm thinking about the cause of Christ instead of the cause of David, I'm, I'm, I'm not wanting to show the world my strength. I'm not wanting to display my knowledge or my rightness. My primary objective, if I'm following the goal of, of seeing Jesus glorified, is how can I walk this moment out in a way that I think Jesus would? So what would Jesus do in this moment? Well, he'd toast the person because he's strong and powerful and all know. Jesus actually modeled some very deep self-sacrificial moments in conversations and interactions through the course of the Gospels. How does Jesus live this out? Romans 5.8. But God showed his love for us that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. There is this element where he gives even when he is opposed. Number three, we are to have a shared humility. Philippians 2, 5 and 8 calls us to have the mind of Christ. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ, who though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, even born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Have this mind of humility within you. What does humility look like in this moment? What does me humbling myself, what does me saying, I will make myself less? I will give away instead of take. I will serve instead of taking. I will offer help to my sister, to my brother, instead of waiting to be helped. There's this author, I read his book this last couple years ago, and I can't remember which author it was, couldn't find it in all my library, but I remember the quote, something like this. It says, you only know the fruit of a tree when the tree gets bumped. Jesus says you'll know a tree by its fruit. We only know what true fruit is when it gets bumped. 
(laughs) when we're not in a moment of self-control, when we're not in a moment when all things are easy and nice and everyone's agreeing with us. Oh, it's easy to be loving, patient, good, kind, just, all of those things when things are going easy. But when somebody steps on your toe, what falls from your tree Is it anger, frustration? Now, there is a tension that we have with nature, old and new, but Jesus is trying to birth within the community of Christ a people who have the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of eternity, the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Oh, that we would be marked by the fruit of the Spirit. That we would be commonly seeing the miracle of God giving birth to fruit within us. When we're walking through circumstances and we're like, man, this is hard. This is unpleasant, but I still have a sense of peace. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That is heaven breaking in here. Uh, The primary question, just to break this all down, and this comes, this quote comes from a, a pastor of the past who, um, but he, he said this one important thing, uh, how can Jesus win in this? This helped my wife and I a lot. Like when we're fighting, it's like, I want to win. No, you're going to, I'm not, I don't want to lose. How does Jesus win? And I would say it is by reminding ourselves that we have this simple love of Jesus, that the way of Christ is humility that our goal is to extend and demonstrate the love and sacrificial goodness of Jesus uh, in our lives. So practically speaking, what does this look like? Practically speaking, when there is tension that must be addressed, something's just ticking you off and you don't know why. Take a second, pause. Figure out what's going on in here before you go to someone and expect them to know how to fix you. Nobody knows how to fix you. You don't even know how to fix you sometimes. You're just mad. (laughs) You're upset. And we're going to have a teaching around some practical ways when we go back into the book of Matthew in the weeks ahead. But it'll suffice to say that what I would have us do is do what you can and no more. In those circumstances. Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself. It's not your job, but leave it to the wrath of God. So there's parts that we can play in cultivating peace, but there is distinct spaces where we have to go, I've done what I can. It would be wrong for me to chase down justice for myself. I have to release this to God. So, number one, if you're going to survive in the kingdom of God, if we're going to cultivate a kingdom of goodness, one, create space for humanness. Others and your own people are going to let you down because we're human. You, you're going to fail because you're human. And so let's not have a toxic uh, relationship with sin where it's like, no, I don't, I, I can't acknowledge that I've done anything wrong. No, 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 I'm right, I'm right. No, no, grace gives us the ability to go, yeah, I'm probably wrong. And it's not the end of the world. Because Jesus has set me free from the consequences of sin, death, and the grave. Sin becomes this unnecessary poison that doesn't belong anymore. And so when it comes up, you're like, oh, not surprised. I'm trying to get rid of that. But you know what? Jesus, please help me with this. I'm going to acknowledge what my stuff is. And I'm going to acknowledge that other people have their stuff. And we are going to let sin not be the driving focus of our lives or our fellowship. We're going to let Jesus, his goodness, and his journey to unearth us be the very foundation. So, create space for your own humanness. Psalm 39, search me, O God. Let this be common and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way within me. Lead me in paths everlasting. And not only that, Proverbs 19, 11, God, good sense makes one slow to anger, 
and it is glory to overlook an offense. You don't need to call out everybody else for everything. I say, if you're able to release and give it to the Lord and have peace within yourself, overlook it. But some of you, you've been hurt deeply and it continues to come to mind. Every, see, every time you see the person, it's like you see this label over their head like backstabber. Oh, hello, good morning. You know what I mean? Like if that's you, man, start this deep work of going, okay, there's something off here. Jesus, what is going on in me? Is there anything I'm bringing to this? And then establishing that space for Matthew 18. Number two, acknowledge what is. If there's beef that you can't get past, Matthew 18 says, if your brother has sinned against you, go tell him their fault between you and him alone. Listen, if he listens to you, what you have gained a brother. This is where depth and true community is born. It's when you can have a hard conversation with like, dude, you probably didn't mean it, but you, I, I, I really got hurt by this thing. <laughs> I'm not mad at you. I just want to be able to acknowledge it and move through it. And for that person to be like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to. I wasn't aware of that. You walk out of that conversation as family as opposed to having this weirdness with a quasi-friend. Does that make sense? It's true. It's how we go deep. Uh, Number three, cling to Jesus and to one another. Uh, Darren Whitehead says this interesting thing. Community is not an absence of conflict, but the presence of God's reconciling spirit. This is not something we can humanly create. The Spirit of God is at work within us. He is what is tying us together. He is what making walking through hard circumstances possible. Paul says, for this, it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ. You should not only believe in him, but suffer for his sake. This causes suffering at times to fight through not give up. It is harder. But it is the very space where we see joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control come out in full reality. I'm going to close with uh, this one thought from, from the same author, Darren Whiteheader, same pastor. We all have the ability to nurture and grow unity among us to look at each other and be like, things are going to be hard at times, but I'm not going to let go. We all have the ability to do that. We each have the ability, he says, to disrupt unity as well. But we also have the ability to repair it. And this is God's call to us today. And so I would invite us as as a community to acknowledge that Jesus wants us to have a deep-rooted unity for us. He would have us not hide tension. Yes, overlook when we can, but there remains this tension. It only serves to, to destabilize the family. And listen, we don't need instability in a world that is shaking. We need to stand together with Jesus. So, that is my word for us uh, this, this morning. Um, uh, we, we're going to take a minute to just let the Spirit, let thoughts rest upon us. Um, and then we're going to take five minutes for anybody to just ask a question before we enter into communion and worship. Because I want you to be able to enter into that table with Christ. And we're told we're supposed to look at our hearts, reflect. Are we at peace with God? Are we at peace with one another? All right, let me, 
Let me just lead us into a time of thoughtfulness. Jesus, we, we ask you to speak to us as we have heard your word. I'll invite you to ask the Spirit, God, what is it you're trying to speak to me today? Lord, we say thank you that you don't expect us to be perfect that you're not surprised by our sin and you have already gone before us to rescue us from the consequences thereof. So we pray that your spirit would cultivate within us just a determination to be one as you are one, that the world may know that the Father sent you, Jesus, here to claim us as your own. If the Lord is bringing anybody to your mind, I want you to just say, God, I see that person. If somebody's come to mind, say, God, is there anything that you would have me do? And if the Lord puts something in your mind, say, okay, I hear you. Please give me the strength to not just be a hearer of your word, but a doer. For the sake of your kingdom and glory. Amen. Okay. Amen. We want to not just be a people who walk through motions. Okay? We want to actually lead you into a space where you can sing these next few songs. Take the bread, which acknowledges Jesus' body and blood broken for you. That overcame the sin that you have committed and the sin that's been committed against you. Um, And so in that light, is there anything that has come to your mind, a challenge David, I can't get past this. Can you explain that? Or this conversation has brought this to my mind. Come on up, John. Help me out with this section. Like I said, five minutes, but a meaningful five minutes. Was my question clear? Do you need to help me out? Don't be shy, friends. Come on. Don't leave me hanging. I'll start it. Please do. I'll help. I'll help. Um, Practical situation of how do we pursue, as we see in the beginning of of the verse, Paul is calling in a mediator to help this situation. Yeah. How do we pursue as a people in a situation where one part of the party does not want to seek reconciliation and have a mediator be in the process. How do we practically go about that as a church? Yeah. Church, you're smart. Come on, throw out some ideas. What do you do? What's the Bible call us to do? You want to reconcile. You're having a... There's nothing there on the other end of the phone. I'm guessing that there are two brothers and sisters because this is actually a family church conversation, Okay. And this is about believers. So if there are unbelievers among us or in our lives, which there should be, we're going to have conflicts, but we don't have the same tools or we would do things in a slightly different way. Um, So within the context of believers, what do you do? Sean, what? Hmm. So I think that the Bible, you know, in Matthew 18, it gives us steps. But I think because most of us, um, I mean, I've been in church my whole entire life, and I've seen this done once correctly, I feel like, biblically. And so um, I think especially with brothers and sisters, we want 
oftentimes it's um, easier to just shove something under the rug than to deal with it. And so um, it's a hard question. I feel like for people to, I mean, I don't know, maybe, I don't want to speak for anybody here, but <laughs> I know for myself it's hard to answer that question when you haven't seen it done yeah. well or correctly. I'd like to encourage, thank you, I'd like to encourage that Matthew 18 should be happening all the time and I should never know about it unless it becomes more difficult. So Matthew 18 is, you're, you're out to coffee with someone and you're like, did you hear what so-and-so did? Um, sorry, that was a little bit more attitude than any of you guys would ever have, right? <laughs> and the goal is to go, hey, it sounds like you need to talk to so-and-so. I'm not the right person to talk about that. And I don't, I don't really want to hear bad things about my friend. And so go to them. If, it doesn't, if, if, that's, if that doesn't come to being or if you need help, okay, let me know and I can help you. That's the gift. Not just listening to trash talk because that divides. Anybody else seen this done well or... Yes. <laughs> I think, I guess, if that is the way that you're asking the question and you are seeking reconciliation, but the other person doesn't want to reconcile with you, to take it to Jesus then and say, Lord, how can I look like you in this scenario? How can I love like you? How can I smell like you when I'm interacting with this person even though they don't want to have reconciliation with me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's like a, a window, right? You, you, you can't just go, oh, this person did this thing, so now I gotta make it happen like this. There's grace involved. And, um, but if you're having an issue where someone doesn't resolve, that's where you would look to a mature, mutual friend in the body to be able to go like, hey, I'm stuck. Do you mind helping? And then if, it was, if you came to me, I'd be like, okay, I'll call him up. I'm like, hey, what's going on? Like, I really want to help you work through some things. Sounds like a little awkward. And that's where the Matthew 18 next step comes in. It's just to support. You know, it's not, it's not to work through challenges in a way that's troubly. It's like we should be trying to help our brothers and sisters get along. That's pretty much, pretty much it. Okay. Um, I realize that there is lots of um, history, different circumstances that come to your mind. Uh, I regularly have different relationships at different moments where I'm like, God, help me to forgive, help me to release, help me to move past. So forgiveness is a complex thing. I recognize that most have relationships that are completely whole and great. Others of you, you're midway through working through stuff. And I want you to know, that's how it should be, is working towards oneness and working with Jesus. And so let's, let's not sweep up under the rug. Let's hold the reality of each other's humanness and our own in a way that has confidence in God's ability to hold us and all of our mess because he is totally confident to do so. Amen? All right. Let's, uh, let's, let's, I'm going to ask John to kind of lead us into our time of worship. Uh, if you just want to pray for us and introduce the bread and the cup, and um, we'll dive in that way. Yeah, so if you're, if you're someone who you're kind of in maybe a situation where you do need to seek some reconciliation, um, Scripture is clear that we make sure that we take care of business with God before we take the sacraments. So if you need prayer, um, if you need to talk to someone, Kathy, David, myself, we'll make ourselves available over here. We've had, in the back room, we enjoy praying for people. Uh, we enjoy interceding for one another. Um, so if you have business that you need to take care of before you take the sacraments, please do so. Don't leave this situation, this moment, um, open and taking the sacraments without getting something resolved with the Lord. So make sure you do that. Let's pray. Um, Father, 
Lord, we thank you that you've called us to be a people who are united. It doesn't mean that we agree 100% with every single thing, but we seek to achieve uh, a relationship where we are loving one another well. We can have disagreements on small things, but on the core things of who you are, Father. We stand united and that we love each other. And that requires us humbling ourselves to the point we, to where we are exalting and lifting each other up. To where there is no one person within the body who feels lesser than the other. But we are lifting each other, exalting each other, viewing each other as greater than ourselves. And as we begin to step out in that, we begin to see unity within the body. For us that may have a conflict with a brother or sister in Christ, Lord, may your Holy Spirit remind them to view that person as greater than themselves. To seek that resolution on behalf of your Spirit. To know that you are in the midst of their relationship that there is a common bond between them that cannot be broken. Father, let them begin to deal with the sin that has taken place so that they can achieve a relationship that is wanting to just exalt you and glorify you and to spread your name to the nations, to make you exalted above all. Your spirit can do incredible things. You mend relationships where it seems like it is impossible. May we each take a moment to look at the other person as being greater than ourselves, regardless of what the situation is. Just like you viewed us worth humbling yourself all the way to the point of death on a cross to bring us back into a right relationship with you, to where you broke your body and you shed your blood, your blood. For us to be able to walk into a relationship like you had originally designed in the garden. So may we act like you, Christ. May we act like you by humbling ourselves and seeking a rightness within a broken relationship. We love you and we want to worship you with everything that we have and everything that we are. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We'll be available if you need us to pray. Do your business with the Lord and enter into worship with him.